All right. Uh, we are doing a series this month called On Mission. Brand new series, On Mission. Church, we have a mission. Uh, at the gathering, we define it like this. We aim to gather people around Jesus and around one another. That's our mission statement. And we have a vision statement which tells you how we're trying to do that. And our vision statement is this. We exist to lead people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. We exist to lead people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. That's what we're here for. I believe that when we are living on mission, we have greater satisfaction, joy, and blessing than we could experience living in any other way. You don't have to take my word for it. Go and watch any documentary or movie about a celebrity that exists, and you will see a common thread running through all of them. I watched one recently on Netflix called The Maestro, or Maestro. I can't recommend it as a pastor, but it's about the life of brilliant composer Leonard Bernstein. And this movie paints a picture of an absolutely brilliant, gifted, tortured, miserable man. You could watch the, the one that came out this past year about Elvis and see the same thing. A, a brilliant, gifted, tortured, miserable person. We see this story play out over and over and over again. It's the oldest story there is because no matter how high you go, this life will not bring you joy in the form of riches and fame and success or anything of the sort. Real happiness could only be found in God, hidden in Christ, on mission, in Jesus' name. The reason it's so hard for us to grasp this is because in this life, we have an enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus says that this enemy is like a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. And that's exactly what he does. Your enemy wants to steal your purpose, kill your joy, destroy your peace, destroy your love, destroy our unity and our foundation. But if your foundation is in Jesus, then he cannot take that away from you. So instead, he lies, attacks, and distracts you from your mission. And if he is able to do that, he will take all the joy and the satisfaction away that the Lord has given you. And the enemy has been working hard these last few years. So it's time, church, for us to get on mission. We will not be distracted by the enemy. We will fix our eyes ahead on where we are going and stay fixed on him. I want to talk about this vision statement how we are accomplishing our mission over the next few weeks. Today, I want to talk about knowing God. At the Gathering Church, we are leading people to know God, to know Him, to know that they can be known by Him, to have a relationship with Him, to know the one who made them, who made us. But what does that mean? Does it mean just knowing a lot about God? Knowing all about him, knowing the rules to follow, knowing the things to do? No. But that is what we make it sometimes. We think if we speak the language, say the right things, and check the right boxes, it makes us good Christians. 
Knowing about God is good. It's important. It's vital. It's crucial. I love learning about God. I want you to have that same desire, but it's not the only thing we aim towards. I think so often we believe that knowing about God is enough. When we learn and we listen and we try to understand Him, we pour ourselves into theology and big issues. And all the while we wonder, why are we not experiencing the joy of serving Him? Why does it all just feel like work and hard and confusing? Why aren't we experiencing the satisfaction that God's Word talks about? So maybe we just hop churches or we deconstruct or any number of things to try and satiate our need for His presence. None of it works. And maybe that's because we're focused on the wrong thing. This is what happened to the Pharisees. In the Bible, we see Jesus interacting with this group a lot called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the teachers of the law. They were the most religious people. They worked in the temple. They taught at the temple. And they had all this different knowledge about the Word of God, about God. They knew all about Him. But somewhere along the way, they lost sight of what it meant to know God and became obsessed with what it meant to know about God. Jesus battled with these guys all the time because one of his missions was to help us understand what it means to know God. And the Pharisees would butt against that mission all the time. One of Jesus' interactions with them in Matthew chapter 23, he says this, What are you? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You look like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Many of us have been around people like this. They know all the right things to say to sound spiritual or religious, but they're not very fun to be around. Many of us have church hurt related to people like this. People that have the answers, but none of the actions. This isn't what it looks like when we know God. A big part of the mission of Jesus was to help us know what it meant to know God. And he did that by the ministry of his presence. He spent time with people. He showed kindness and humility and love to the people that he interacted with. He encouraged his followers to do the same. He wanted his disciples to behave and act and think differently than these Pharisees. That's why none of the men that he chose to follow him closely were these great religious leaders. In fact, it wasn't until Paul entered into the faith that a Pharisee became notable among the followers of Jesus. There were a couple guys who were curious, who didn't feel like what they were doing was right. But it was a group of just regular guys that Jesus began with. And his heart in interacting with them was for them to receive the presence of God and to be able to live in it and understand it and pass it on to others. That is why Jesus says this in John chapter 13 in one of his last conversations with his disciples as he's giving them this great, long, beautiful teaching on what's going to happen to them next. He says, a new command I give you, love one another, and as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It was this idea 
that if we know God, his presence would be felt through us amongst others. We would show love to one another in such a way that would make the world around us stop and say, there's something different there. Because it doesn't, if you know all the knowledge of God in the Bible and six different kinds of systematic theology and you boastfully tell the world all the things that you know, it is not going to draw people to the Lord the way that your love for His people will. In fact, it says in the Bible that the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. The kindness of the Lord is experienced through the people of God. The way that we show kindness, care, love to one another tells people that there's something different about us. And that doesn't come from a knowledge of God. It comes from knowing God. And so I want to show uh, through this message a couple different ways of why this is important and how we can be a part of it. So a few things about knowing God. Number one is this. I need you to understand that you were made to know God. You are not an accident. You didn't just happen in some cosmic mistake. You were intentionally created by a God who loves you and who has dreams for your heart and for your life. He put passions inside of you. He created you the way that you are with a purpose and a dream in mind. And as he was creating you, he created you with some very specific needs, a need to know him and a need to know others. We can understand a little bit about what it is like to know God when we look at the story of the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2. In the very beginning, man and God coexisted. The first man walked in the garden as God walked in the garden. They spoke to one another as one speaks to a friend. Face to face they interacted. We were living in this perfect place in the presence of God in the garden. Let me just read through Genesis chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 15 to show a little bit of what that looks like. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and then closed up the, the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is a picture of what God's intention is for us. United in relationship with him, but not even a pair of Levi's in between us. Here's what I see when I look at the garden. I see that we had a purpose. When we were walking in relationship with God, known by him, knowing him, there was a job to do. 
Sometimes we picture heaven and we think we're just going to be floating around on a cloud all day with a harp. That's not the picture the Bible paints. In this first version of Eden, man had a job to do. He was working the land. He was cultivating the earth. He was making it more beautiful. He was naming the animals. There was a job to do. God always had an intention of purpose for humanity. That is why we desire it from the moment that we are born, we begin looking for our purpose. We're wondering what we are on this world to do. Surely I exist on this world for more than what I've seen. What is the more that is out there for me? Well, God has the answer to that. He's created you with a purpose. Uh, We're going to get more into that in week three. Next, I see that when we are in the presence of God, when we know him, we have a family. God saw Adam in the garden, even in the presence of the father. And with all these cute little animals running around, you know, even his fur babies to support him, it wasn't enough. It's not good for man to be alone. And he gave relationship. He created relationship for humanity. See, we have this need for relationship with God and relationship with people. We were made to live in community. We were made to be known by somebody else. We were made to know one another. When we know God, he helps us complete that need in the right kind of relationship. The last thing that I notice when we live in the presence of God is that there is no shame. There is no shame. In the garden, there was no shame, no guilt. Man was open, vulnerable, completely naked, and connected to one another in a very special way. This is just a glimpse of what life is like when we know God. Because as we pursue knowing Him, what we are doing is rebuilding the garden as best we can in the world that we're living in. But the most essential part of that is relationship with the one who made us. Second thing is that we are lost when we don't know God. Utterly adrift. Genesis 2 paints this beautiful picture of life in relationship with God. But if you've been around church for a while, maybe you know that It doesn't stay that way for very long. In fact, we turn turn from chapter 2 to chapter 3 and we see the title, The Fall of Man. It's like, goodness gracious, already? It's the second chapter. Genesis 3 tells the story of sin entering the world. A choice is given by God. The whole garden is yours to work and use and eat from, but there is one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I don't want you to mess with it or you will surely die. Eventually, the enemy comes to Eve and says, did God really say you would die? What did he say? Do you even remember? What did God actually say? Do you think he'd really kill you? He seems pretty nice. One of the chief strategies of our enemy has always been to confuse the words of God. To get us to question what he actually wants for us. Question his motives. His nature. And so the choice is made And sin enters the story. Here's what happens next. First, Adam and Eve realize that they're naked. And when they hear God, they hide from him. They feel shame. Next, they begin blaming the other for what happened. And they do this because they feel guilt. Then, God sends them out of his presence. And he tells them that outside of his presence, 
they're going to experience pain, loss, hunger, disease, war, all the things that we experience here today because they're no longer in his presence in the garden. Genesis chapter 4, the next chapter, tells us the story of Cain and Abel and the beginning of our enemy using petty envy and anger and disagreement to create division and hatred amongst his people. Sometimes we look at Genesis and we think this takes place in a time we can't really relate to. But the more that we study the stories within, the more we realize that this is describing a world we're all familiar with. This is our world. Pain. Jealousy, disease, division, envy, hate, loss, hunger, shame, guilt, famine, all of it. When we know about God, we may know the rules to follow or what the Bible says about how good he is. But when our reality is all of these things, all this pain, shame, anger, loss, how are we supposed to believe it? How are we supposed to reconcile what we're feeling with what we've we've heard if all we have is knowledge? But when we know God, when we enter into relationship with Him, when we understand not only who He is, but how He sees us, the nature of this God, when we understand the power of His Holy Spirit, And we receive that Spirit. When we develop the Holy Spirit's power and presence within ourselves, then when we experience some of these things in life and it doesn't doesn't go the way that we wanted it to, because the Bible is clear that until Eden is restored, you will still experience all the hurt and pain and loss and hunger and disease that is in this world. The difference is that if all I know is about God, then how do I reconcile it? But if I truly know God and have the power of His Holy Spirit living within me, then when I experience experience those things, I understand them differently. It generates a different response inside of me. I'm able to respond the way that Paul responded when he's being persecuted and nearly killed and driven outside of towns and thrown in prison and all those things. And Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He says, so we do not lose hearts. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. When we know God, when we know Him, we have a different outlook on the pain that we experience in this life. It will still hurt, but you will have a greater capacity, comfort, and joy to experience it with. When we were in the garden, we lived with this peace and satisfaction all the time. Sin took us out of the garden and separated us from God. And so if we understand that it's better to know God than just to know about him, we want that back. If we 
If we begin to understand that this kind of experience, like what Paul writes here, doesn't come from knowledge, but rather from relationship. How do we get that back? How do we move from where we are into relationship with God? Very simply, knowing God is possible because of Jesus. For so long, there was a gap between humanity and God. Knowing God was possible, but very hard. Few people really grasped it. There was a system of laws and temple ceremonies and sacrifices that became our bridge between us and God. But this system was flawed. It was difficult to follow. It would never be enough. That's why Jesus came to earth in the form of a man. That's why he lived this sinless life on earth, tempted just like we are, but able to resist it. That's why he taught us about the heart of God through his words and actions. That's why he went to the cross for our sin, all of it, so that we could really, truly, finally know God for the first time since the garden. Paul gives us a great understanding of this process through the book of Romans, a little pathway through the book of Romans. Uh, I've titled it The Romans Road. Begins... I didn't make that up. That's, that's from the 70s. It begins in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Every single one of us has sin inside of us that makes it difficult for us to know God. Things that move a distance between us. But because of his grace, because of the gift he gave us in Jesus, that can change. Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that gift that he's talking about is in Romans 5.8. It says God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's what you need to understand about knowing God. Knowing God is not precluded by knowing about God. Knowing God doesn't have a list of to-do list of items that you have to check off in order to actually know God. Maybe you're hearing me talk about this and thinking the distance between me and the Garden of Eden is great because of the things that I have done, the mistakes that I have made, the ways that I have been disqualified. The truth revealed in Romans 5.8 is that you get to know God today as you are, that despite your sin, Despite the mistakes that you've made, despite who you were this morning, He has made a way for you to know Him and know Him intimately and in relationship. Not as a, as a religion to add to your life, not as a, a, a degree to pursue in higher knowledge, but as your Father. As the one who has wiped away your sins so that you could know Him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so how do we enter into this relationship? Because it's about relationship. What Christ did was build this bridge between us and God that would give us proximity and access. The building blocks to all relationships are access and proximity. You have to be able to get close and you have to be able to stay close. You have to know, in order to know me, you got to be near me. You got to be around me. You got to be in my life. You have to see the way that I live, the way that I speak, the way that I communicate to others and to you. 
access and proximity is the very thing Christ provided for us through the cross, that we might have relationship with God. Romans 10, 9, because, and this is the way, this is the bridge to cross. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with one heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We make this choice to know God. We make this choice to know him in relationship just as we are, exactly where we are. No matter who we are, we get to make this choice. We are forgiven. We enter into relationship with him. And then from that place, we move forward to learning about him, to following Jesus and practicing his ways. We have a a program of discipleship here called Practicing the Way, where you learn how to live the way Jesus lived. Practice the practices of Jesus and become more and more like him every day. And as we do that, we will experience the satisfaction, the peace, the joy of the garden within our own hearts. It says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. But wait, there's more. Because there is an essential peace to knowing God that you have to understand. Is that we go through this process, a change begins to take place in our hearts. Something is, is shifted inside of us. The Bible talks about it like God makes us new. We are a new creation, recreated in Him. I was dead in my sin, and I am resurrected to new life in Jesus. And as I start to know Him, when I give my life to Him, Acts chapter 2 tells us this incredible story about the power of God's Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the very presence and power of God. God exists in three parts. It's hard to understand because we're not supposed to understand it. Because if you could understand everything about God, then maybe you'd be bigger and better than you are right now. We're never going to. God is the Father who sits on the throne. He is the Son who died for our sins. And He is the very Spirit whose power is dwelling within us who believe and follow Him. And when I have that Spirit inside of me, I can either starve it or feed it. And as I begin to feed the Spirit through things like prayer and worship and studying God's Word and sharing the knowledge that I have about this gospel message of Jesus Christ, that power of the Holy Spirit grows inside of me. And the more that power grows inside of me, the more I am able to not just know about God, but know Him. Because I don't just have a knowledge of Him, I have His very power flowing through my veins. When I communicate the gospel, I don't just communicate it based on the words or the knowledge that I have, but by the power of the Spirit that lives within me. We get to know God because He wants to be known by us and has given us the tools, the access, and the ability to know Him. We have a mission, church. To tell every single person that we know that this is what we believe, that this is the truth, and that this truth is also available to you. Which brings me to our fourth point. Knowing God leads us to lead others to know God. Because if this is 
that this is what I am experiencing, the power of the Holy Spirit, the kindness of the Lord coming out through me. If this is the kind of grace I am living in, that while I was still sinning, Christ died for me, that no matter how big my mistakes are, God has grace and mercy to cover them in Jesus' name. If that is true, how could I keep that to myself? How could I interact with people in my neighborhood, in my family, in my circle of friends, at work, wherever I go? How could I interact with people who don't know that, who don't know him? and not do everything that I can with every breath that I have to help them know him. Paul said, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. It is humbling to know that no matter how broken I am, how far from perfect I am, that he would choose me to make this truth known. That he would choose every single one of us to be his ambassadors to a world in desperate need of it. The need is desperate. Mark chapter 16, Jesus, one of the last things he says before he ascends into heaven, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Church, we've got to get on mission to lead people to know God because people have got to know God. They were made to know God. We exist to know God. We have no peace unless we know God. No satisfaction unless we know God. No joy unless we know God. And we cannot know God unless somebody leads us, tells us, reveals to us the way to know God. This is what we're here for. You got to know that as a church, we put so much thought and energy into this aspect of our mission. I am absolutely obsessed and fixated on how we can lead our city to know God better and better and better. We think about it. When you come into our parking lot, you see those bright vests, right? High vis, our parking lot. Uh, greeters. And they're there not because we don't think you know how to park a car. You may not know how to park a car. I've watched some of you not know how to park a car. That's not why they're there. They're there because the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance and we experience the kindness of the Lord through the people of the Lord. And so when you pull into this parking lot, you begin to receive the gospel. We're the first person who lights up with joy that you're here today. Our greeters are so important. You guys are so important. Because when people get out of their cars, we've all walked towards a house of worship where we didn't feel wanted or welcome or seen before. But here, we need you to know that you can know God. And so I want somebody right out there to see you and to look you in your eyes and say, I'm so glad you're here today. Welcome. You are wanted in the house of the Lord today. You are wanted in the house of God today. We, we come in, you come into this place. We, we could put coffee out set up for you, for you to grab and go. We know we live in a grab and go culture, right? Sometimes you come by and you see that you can't grab and go coffee. You might just decide to go without coffee. I'm fasting coffee today. 
God wants me to fast from coffee today. I felt it in my spirit. No. What I want is for you to encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ through one of the incredible people who are serving coffee at the gathering church. They're going to look at you and ask how they can serve you. Would you like medium or dark today? It's not a small thing. It's not a small thing to serve in the coffee place because we are serving people who we are trying to show them that they can know God and what it looks like. Everything that we do, this is what we're thinking about. The mission, the mission, the mission. How can we lead you to know God? And so I encourage you, church, to join us in the mission. Join us in a number of ways. Be a bringer. We've thought so hard about how we can make this a place you would want to bring your friends. And one of the easiest ways that you can share the gospel with somebody is just to ask the question, would you like to come with me to church on Sunday? Would you like to join me in this? Would you like to come? I'll save you a seat. Come sit by me. I know we're nervous in this city. People are going to, they're going to run us out of town and stone us if we tell them we go to church. I think if they know that you care about it and that you love it and that it's important to you, if you have something that's important to you that you refuse to share with me, I'm now mad at you. If you invite them into something that matters to you, I believe people will receive that. And if they don't, you tried. Be a bringer. Be a bringer this year. Commit to bringing people with you. And then I'd encourage you to get on the dream team and join us in sharing. The gospel doesn't just get shared in this moment on the stage. This only works if they've experienced the gospel out there first. And so we have step one after service today up in the media center. It's right up the stairs and on the right. And we got lunch provided. I got plenty of sandwiches. I would love for you to join me up there so that I could share with you who we really are as a church and how you can be a part of bringing people into this fold, bringing people to know God by serving at the gathering church and, and what that really looks like. And so you come join us at step one. I just want to encourage you to get on mission with us because we have a job to do. We are the ambassadors of Christ and we cannot rest until we have brought this message into the ears at least of everyone who we can. Now it is the Holy Spirit's job to move it from the ears to the heart, not mine. Praise the Lord. But I'm going to make sure that as many people as I can, I'm sharing this message with because I am the ambassador. I am the ambassador. I am the one called to share what I have with them. And so are you. And we will do it together, church, as we get on mission. If you're in here today and uh, you haven't received this yet, maybe you've known about God all your life. But it's time for you to know God. It just begins by the same way any relationship does, by a conversation. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just pray this prayer with me if you're ready. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. I need you today. I believe that you are who you say you are and that what you've done for me is great and I receive it in Jesus' name. I believe with, with my heart, I confess with my mouth. I am yours, all of me, from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen.